Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Pastor Clark here. Just want to say thank you for tuning in and listening. We're beginning an exciting new Advent sermon series called Advent Between Two Worlds. And you're going to hear a sermon that we did just this past Sunday on that and how we can look at Christ's birth and Christ's future coming. And in between those two stories, how we find ourselves in this glorious story of God during this Advent season. We also invite any of you to join us for worship, either online or in person at 8.30 and 11 traditional in our sanctuary or 9.45 in contemporary in our dining hall. You can go to our website, wesleymemorial.org to learn more. Thanks again for listening. God bless each of you. And we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our text for Epiphany Sunday is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod they left for their own country by another road this is the word of God thanks be to God today we celebrate epiphany in the life of the Christian community we have celebrated Christmas We have made our way through most of the 12 days of Christmas, and now we are looking forward to our celebration of Epiphany, which occurs on January the 6th. Epiphany comes from a word that means manifestation, and it is based in many ways upon the text that I read for you a few moments ago, the visit of the wise men to the infant Jesus. And it is for us in the Christian community a way of being mindful that this 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, is to be made manifest to all of creation, to all people. And that's the meaning of epiphany in the Christian community. The classic biblical text for epiphany is, as I've said, the visit of the so-called wise men to the infant, Jesus. And every time I look at the text of the visit of the wise men, I see very clearly presented to us two choices. And I want us to look at those two choices this morning. I want us to think about these choices that are placed before us here at the beginning of a new year. Here in the text of the visit of the wise men, those two choices are the way of King Herod and then the way of the wise men. Let's talk first about the way of King Herod. We see it illustrated here in this text. Let me introduce you to King Herod, called King Herod the Great. He was called the Great because he was one of those rulers who could make things happen. He could get things done. He was known as a great builder. That's why he's referred to as the Great. He built the great port city of Caesarea Maritima. He built the great fortress of Herodium, the great fortress of Masada, the great fortress of Macarius. He brought major, massive renovation to the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem and caused that Jewish temple to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. As Herod ruled as the puppet king, the client king, under the Roman Empire there in Judea, he was known as someone who could make things happen. He could bring about progress. But Herod also, as we see clearly in the text, and as we know clearly from the historians, was a great example, a preeminent example, of our world's love affair with violence. If you look at the life of King Herod, you see that he frequently used violence to protect his place, to protect his rule. When you look at the life of King Herod, and we have that from the historians such as Josephus, we see that King Herod killed three of his own sons. In many ways, he was pathologically paranoid when it came to protecting his office as the king of Judea, ruling on behalf of the Romans. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed an uncle. He even killed his beloved wife, Mariamne. We know from the scriptures, following the text that I read a few moments ago, about Herod's slaughter of the innocents, how he killed babes there two years and younger in the city of Bethlehem hoping that he could destroy this newborn rival king. As King Herod was nearing the time of his own demise, he filled the Hippodrome there in Jericho with many people and he gave the order that at his, Herod's death, all of those people were to be slaughtered so that there would be mourning and wailing and crying throughout Judea upon his death. We understand why Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor at this time, once remarked that he had rather 
be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because you see, King Herod, because he ruled there in Judea, tried to appease the Jews and he even tried to keep kosher. So as someone keeping kosher, a pig was safer around him than were his own children. So that's the way of Herod. It's a way based on the exercise of raw power, using fear, violence, manipulation, coercion, intrigue, lies, to achieve what a person wants to achieve. We know far too well about the way of King Herod in this world. And we see Herod living out the way of King Herod when he hears about the birth of this newborn rival king there in his realm. He lies to the wise men. He says, come back and tell me where he's at so that I too may go and pay him homage. I know you can't imagine a politician lying, but that's what we see Herod doing here. He was full of deception. For him, his whole life was about self-serving. And he did whatever was necessary to preserve and protect his place. So that's one way of reacting to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see it displayed here in this text in Matthew chapter 2. But then we also see another way displayed here in this text. And it is the way of the wise men. Let me introduce you to these wise men. We really don't know much about the wise men. Uh, We gave them names in the Middle Ages because you know that nature abhors a vacuum and sometimes we'll just make stuff up to take the place of that vacuum and we made up names for these wise men after we determined there were three of them. We called them Melchior, Caspar, and Balshazar. And we even come to think that these wise men symbolized many of the nations coming to Jesus. Melchior from Persia, Gaspar from India, and Belshazzar from Arabia. But in reality, we, we know very little about these wise men. All that we know about these wise men is what we know from the text here. We notice in the text that they are nameless foreigners, the text says that they are magioi, or simply magi. That's how the text in the Greek refers to them. These magi came to find the infant Jesus. We know something about magi from the ancient world. They were Zoroastrian priests or astrologers. And we know from the text here that they studied the stars As Zoroastrian priests, that means that they probably came from the area of ancient Persia or modern-day Iran. And we call them the three wise men. I often wonder about calling them the three wise men. We don't know for sure. We don't know from the text that there were three of them. We do see that they bring three gifts, but there's no reference to how many wise men or magi were in this entourage. We suspect it was a large entourage coming from 
Persia, and that's why it made quite a stir there in Jerusalem, and I'm sure also in Bethlehem. So we don't know if there were just three. I suspect at times they were not as wise as they wanted to be. We see here in the text that they go and tell that pathologically paranoid King Herod about the birth of a rival king in their realm. That was not a wise thing to do. We know Herod well enough to know that this news coming to King Herod would not end well for other people, and it doesn't. So three wise men? We're not even sure they're men. There actually was a medieval tradition that one of the magi was a female. But what we do know about the magi is that they were seekers after wisdom. They were seekers after truth. They wanted to find wisdom, not just information, but wisdom for the living of these days. They so wanted to find truth and wisdom that they traveled a great distance. They paid the price of time, energy, effort, and treasures. They traveled that great, great distance from Persia with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were expensive gifts. You heard in the text that they were not just simple, small gifts, but they had to open their treasure chest in order to bring out the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In the Christian tradition, we have long thought that these gifts symbolized more than the Magi realized that they symbolized. Here was gold, a gift fit for a king. Here was frankincense, that which was used in the worship of deity or God. And here was myrrh, something that was used to embalm people in the ancient world upon death. So in many ways, these gifts point to Jesus as king, God, and sacrifice. I don't suspect the Magi realized all of that. I think they were acting far beyond what they understood or realized. They came a great distance with great gifts to worship this newborn king. And we see that that is exactly what they do in the text. Perhaps the most important verse in this text is verse 11, where it says of the Magi, on entering the house, and you do notice it's a house at this point, not the stable, on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. You can translate that as they bowed low and they worshipped him. They came seeking wisdom and they found Jesus Christ, the very word of God. They came seeking truth and they found the one who would say eventually that I am the way, the truth, and the life. They came seeking wisdom and truth. They came willing to pay whatever price it took 
to approach this newborn king in worship. They came in peace, and they came to worship. So that's the way of the Magi. That's a very different way of living, a very different way of receiving the birth of Christ than was the way of King Herod. So here at the beginning of 2021, this text presents us with this choice. Two very dramatic, contrasting choices. Do we live embracing the way of Herod? Or do we live seeking to embrace the way of the Magi? You know, our life is made up of choices. Some researchers tell us that we make over 35,000 choices a day. One choice at a time. One choice after another. But sooner or later, all of those choices add up to make our lives. Here, when we look at the two choices placed before us in the story of the coming of the Magi, we see that really all of our choices in life fall into one of these two categories. Fall into self-serving at whatever cost or fall into the category of worshiping Christ to receive wisdom, to receive truth, to sacrifice all that we need to sacrifice to make this Christ the center of our lives. Here we are at the beginning of a new year as we celebrate on this Epiphany Sunday. The new year is before us like an unopened gift. None of us know exactly what this new year will bring. We are hoping that this new year is an easier year than was the year we just exited. But we will be making choices throughout this year. Friends, I pray that our lives, our living, this year will be a Christ-centered year for each one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.